So, uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, what we believe as a denomination or as we believe as an organization. So, we are a church uh, amongst other churches uh, that are part of a bigger organization called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And so, just a little bit about what that is, just to give you a little historical kind of background of who we are. Um, you know, we're a denomination, and just just like Baptist churches, you see them all around town. Uh, those are denomination as well, and we're we're not a part of them, but we're just another denomination among all these other denominations we have in Bowling Green and the United States. Now, the person who founded the Christian Mission Alliance, his name was A.B. Simpson. Now, some of you might have read some of his stuff. Some of you might have sang some of the hymns or songs that he's written in the past. Uh, but he, was, uh, he started out as a pastor uh, of a church in Louisville, Kentucky. And then he moved over to another uh, sort of highly sought-after position uh, in another church in New York City. And so while he was working there, he um, started working with immigrants, uh, people coming in um, from overseas, and he began uh, trying to uh, uh, minister to them, trying to work with them, uh, and he began to have a heart for them. He really wanted to, uh, to be friends with them. He really wanted them to see uh, and know about the love of Jesus. And so he tried to figure out, how am I supposed to go about doing that? Uh, how am I supposed to fulfill uh, the Great Commission? Now, that's uh, for those of you who are not familiar with that, the Great Commission, uh, it's in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And in there, uh, Jesus tells us, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you, and look, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so A.B. Simpson uh, read that, and he really took that to heart and really wanted to figure out, how do I do that with these people that are coming in from overseas? And so that was really at the heart of our organization or our denomination. And he actually didn't intend for a denomination to start. Uh, He always wanted it to be a missions organization, uh, a place where like-minded people uh, could... um, uh, could, could put their resources together uh, and figure out how they can uh, spread the love of Jesus to people overseas, people who are lost, people who will never hear of the love of Jesus. Now, while he was leading this organization, uh, he came up with something called the Fourfold Gospel. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. And uh, really, the Fourfold Gospel uh, is listed out like this, is that Christ is our Savior. So Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Sanctifier. Jesus is our Healer. And Jesus is our coming King. So just a little bit about what those are. So Jesus as our, our Savior, me, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, uh, what that means is that Jesus is the only way to God. That He is the exclusive Savior. He is the only way that we can be saved. There is no uh, good works that we can do. There's no amount of times we can pray each day. Uh, there's no traveling to certain places in the in the world, uh, you know, as sort of a a journey to it or anything. That's not what He's asking. He's telling us is the way to God. It's only through Jesus, and we'll find out today that it's only the name of Jesus that we can be saved by. And then Jesus as our sanctifier. So that means that Jesus, through the help of the Holy Spirit, works in us and also works through us to make us more and more like him. So that through our attitudes, through our um, emotions and through our actions, we're always expressing Jesus uh, within ourselves and to other people as well. Uh, Jesus as our healer. What that means is uh, Jesus can heal today. 
Uh, there's a, a lot of people in our world who believe that healing doesn't occur at all today, that people don't get miraculously healed by God. Now, sure, that doesn't happen all the time. He doesn't heal everybody. Uh, but sometimes he does heal in miraculous ways. Uh, and so we believe firmly that Jesus can heal us today and heal us in a very miraculous way. And if he doesn't do it through that, then there are other uh, even physical avenues in which we can be healed as well. So like through doctors like Dr. Jessen over here and all of that. So... And then finally, the fourth part of that is that Christ or Jesus is our coming king. So we believe that at some point in the future, Jesus is going to come back again. And when he comes back again, he's going to reign forever. Uh, if you were there for the Christmas thing we, we had at my house, we talked about how uh, there was going to be a kingdom coming, uh, where Jesus was going to come here and he was going to reign forever and forever. His kingdom was going to have no end. There was going to be peace. There was going to be justice. All these things on this earth. And so that's the time we look forward to, and that's the fourth part of what we really believe as an organization. So we're, we're going to go through all those uh, over the next few weeks uh, to really sort of dig in uh, with what we really believe. Uh, so tonight we're talking about Christ our Savior, or Jesus our Savior. And so I want to start with a question. And so this first question, like, I'm gonna, I want feedback from it so you can, you can answer me on that one. If I ask any other question throughout the whole thing, I may not be looking for like a, a shout out answer or anything like that. So that's really just something for you to think about. But in this point, I want you, if you have anything to say, you can provide an answer. So how do we know we need something? So what happens within you, what happens around you whenever you're going to the, to the store or you see something on TV and you, you realize that you need it? What, 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 what tells you you need something? The car goes click, 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 click when you're trying to start it. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 got it. Anybody else? Yeah. I don't think it's when you can't live without it. Okay, okay. Anybody else? I always, when I take a zine to Aldi, I walk through Aldi and I say to a zine, I'm going to look through this section to see if there's something I need. <laughs> Which is a very ridiculous thought, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> if I needed it, I... You, you should already know, know. yeah. <laughs> One more, anybody else? How do you know you need something? Okay. Yeah. So there's always something that tells you that you that you need it. So if you were to def- if we were to get go to the dictionary and figure out what need is when we need something, like what is how's that defined? Really, it's defined as something you have to have. Okay. Now I don't know if you're familiar with this. There's this commercial, State Farm commercial. Uh, I'm not going to explain it. I'm actually just going to show it to you. So I'll, I'll let it speak for itself. Maybe you find it funny. Maybe you don't. Maybe you understand it. Maybe you don't. But I always think it's kind of a clever uh, little commercial here. So that wasn't like a plug for State Farm. I don't even have State Farm insurance or anything. But basically what the commercial was really trying to show us is that, that each of us, uh, no matter who we are, uh, we all basically probably need the same things. Now, we don't need a couch, per se. Maybe, I mean, maybe you do. Maybe you look at your house, you probably do need a couch or something like that. Uh, but basically, I think what it's saying, whether State Farm wanted to communicate that to us or not, 
I, I think we basically need a very few things uh, in life, and that goes for all of us. It's the same for us across the board. Now, if you look at a lot of articles out there, they really boil things down to what you need down to four things. Uh, the very first thing that it tells us we need is we need housing or a roof over our heads. We need food or water. Uh, we, need, um, uh, we need clothing. We also need health care or some type of hygiene, uh, you know, taking care of ourselves, cleaning ourselves. So really, when it comes to those four things, that's really what we need. Now, how do we know we need those things? Well, if we, you know, we, we step outside and we, we need to be protected from the elements or we feel like we need security or we need safety, that's how we know we need a house. If you're hungry or you're thirsty, you've got a little rumbling in your stomach or you, you feel in your mouth that you need to drink something. So you know when you're hungry or you're thirsty, uh, you injure yourself. You know you need some kind of health care. Uh, it's cold outside, so you know you need to keep warm. You need clothes. And to keep yourself from embarrassing yourself, you also need clothes. So you don't want to have that sense in there either. So we know we need all four of those things. Now, I think we can all agree that once we have all four of those things uh, in our lives, and once we're uh, satisfied with that, and what, no matter how it is we get those things, uh, I think we, at the end of the day, we can all say, or we, we can all agree, that we are content, that we're totally satisfied with where we're at in life. But the problem is, uh, that we all have, is that we often confuse physical contentment or physical satisfaction. So being satisfied with all the things that you have for spiritual contentment, for contentment and satisfaction deep down within. And now that's only something that, uh, as we all know, that the things of this world can't provide. But deep down inside, we really all need God. And that's the, the reality, I think, that we all have to face. And now each of us, probably before we became followers of Jesus, or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and this is, could be a question you're thinking about right now, but the question is this, is why do I need God? You know, you look at your life and you say, well, why do I need God if my life is great? You know, my, I have a good job, I have a good house, I have a great family, uh, there are no problems in my life, and so everything is just going great. I have no problems. So I, I, why do I need God in the first place? Why do I need somebody to tell me how I'm supposed to live my life? And so maybe that's some of the things that we think about. You know, our culture tells us about how much it is that we, we actually lack. And they often turn things, when we look on TV or we look or at the advertisements that we pass by every day, uh, those are things that maybe we want, but our culture make it, can make it seem to us that we actually need those things. Now, for instance, maybe you're watching a commercial and, you know, you're watching it on your own TV and you hear, see a commercial about another kind of TV you can buy. You know, it's a 50-inch TV. It's got clear picture. It's got great sound. Uh, uh, you know, it looks so real. But then you look at your own TV and you say, man, it's not, mine's only a 30-inch TV. It doesn't sound that great. The picture's not that awesome. And so you think, well, mine's not that great. I, I need this TV that they're advertising to me. Now, that's the very same thing even for a house or maybe even for a car. Uh, there's many other things that our culture, uh, which we should only want those things or maybe want those things, uh, but they cause us to have to need just about everything uh, or anything that we can think of uh, in our world. Now, what we find, though, is that in all of these things, in our stuff, we really find no contentment in them. Now, if you remember a few months ago, we went through the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which was Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in there, Jesus talked to us about how we cannot ever find contentment in the things of this world. Those things that we have in our world that we think provide satisfaction to us, it's really only temporary. 
it's not going to last very long. It's really only momentary that we actually uh, experience that kind of satisfaction. Uh, but oftentimes, we, we think we can find that satisfaction that we're looking for, that deep longing. Uh, we can find it in our things. That's what, that's what we often think we can do. But you see, throughout the Old and New Testament, we see stories of people who uh, have often tried to find satisfaction in the things of this world, but they often, they often find that they, they come up short uh, in all of those things. That really, at the end of the day, it's only Jesus that can provide that uh, long-lasting satisfaction and contentment uh, in our lives. Now, that's one reason we need God. But ultimately, we need God because deep down there's a problem in each and every one of us and each and every person in our world that we can't uh, fix. There's no uh, law, there's no government, there's no person on this earth that can fix this problem. Now, we often try to fix this problem uh, within us. Uh, We're in a culture of sort of self-help. Now, you can go to Barnes & Noble and you can find a book just for about any problem that you might have. So if you're depressed, you can find a book that gives you 12 steps on how you cannot be depressed. There's uh, probably books on if you're feeling lonely, you could find uh, another 12 steps of how you cannot be lonely. Uh, maybe you have, a trouble, uh, have trouble having friends. You can probably find a book that'll tell you how to make friends pretty quick and pretty easy. And so that's where our culture is. And so we'd really try to, try to fix this problem deep down inside of us. Now, that problem that we all have, that we deal with each and every day, is a sin problem. Because each and every one of us are always do things that are contrary to what God wants us to do, and our world does the very same thing. And it's evident all across, the, uh, all across our world. You know, we see divorces happen every day because one, per, one spouse decides to have an affair and leave off with somebody else, and it just breaks the family apart. Uh, we see mass shootings just about every month somewhere in our world. Someone decides that it's a good idea just to take a gun and kill a whole bunch of people. Uh, we see something, things even as, uh, as big as corruption that we find in, uh, in uh, companies. We find them in governments, religious, non-religious. So there's a lot of corruption that's going on. Now, even something as petty as theft even <coughs> happens. So people steal from banks, rob banks, or they steal from our very own homes. And, and so that it's clear that there is this problem that uh, is, exists in our world that every philosophy or every religion tries to have a solution to. But yet the only uh, philo- or religion that, that comes close or actually does solve the problem is Christianity. Because God was the only one who can provide the remedy uh, for this thing that we deal with each and every day. And so really that's why we need God. We need God to remedy this problem that we all deal with. And we have to realize that Jesus is the only person who can do that in our lives. There's no amount of good that you can do. There's no uh, self-help book that can solve that problem. And it's only God who can do it for us. And so what we're going to read is we're going to read in Acts uh, chapter 4, uh, 1 through 22. And then uh, there's a key verse in there that we're really going to focus on. But I really wanted to give you sort of a... Um, uh, j- just put that verse in context. Uh, but the whole chapter is not going to have to do with all this, uh, just uh, pieces of it. And so if you want to turn there, we'll go ahead and read it uh, together. And I have some notes in here, so I'll probably just kind of give, um, for those of us who might not be familiar with some words that are used here or of people groups, just so we're all on the same page. All right, so starting in verse 4. Uh, Larry, if you could uh, click through, that'd be great. Uh, verse 1, it says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees. Now, Sadducees, they were 
uh, if you know who the Pharisees were. They were just another religious group uh, in the area. Now, these guys were very political. Uh, they could put people in jail. They could sway uh, the decisions of uh, other politicians. Uh, so they had a lot of power uh, in their time. Now, one of my professors in, in, in uh, when I studied the Bible, he often said that these guys, he said, they're sad, you see. So he, what he, the reason he says that is because these guys didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and so there's obviously no hope, and so they're pretty sad. And so he says, they're sad, you see. So if you're a theology person, maybe you think that's funny, but who knows. Uh, so Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, and that's the same guy who put uh, Jesus to, or got, uh, got Jesus to be crucified. So he's there in that same area. So Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? So in other words, uh, you know, they, uh, he was, they were basically questioning by doing all of these things they were doing. The Sadducees felt like they were questioning their authority. So it's almost like a, a child is doing something and a parent says, well, who told you you could do that? So that is sort of the sense that we're sort of dealing with here. And so by what power, what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom you raised from the dead, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note uh, that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But, uh, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. <coughs> Sorry. So what we read here, it actually could be applied in a whole lot of ways. Uh, but really, what I really want to focus on is what Peter says in, in, in verse 12 of this entire chapter. And he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, when we think of that word saved or salvation, we think we're being saved, we should think that we are being saved from, redeemed from, rescued from something. 
and we wouldn't be different from uh, thinking any different than the ancient people. They would have thought of it as being a physical thing, like many of us think when we want to be saved, rescued, or redeemed. We think about it more in a physical sort of sense. And so maybe when their crops weren't doing so well, they wanted somebody to remedy the situation. So they wanted God or they wanted some people around them to come together and fix the problem. So they wanted a physical thing to be done, or maybe they were sick. And so they wanted God to heal them of that, ail- of that ailment. And that's the very same with us too. So really when we want to be saved, rescued, or redeemed, we think about it maybe in a physical sense. So if we are dealing with a sickness or our money, uh, money isn't doing so well for us, our job isn't going so well, our family isn't doing so well either, we want somebody to save us, rescue us, redeem us from this entire situation. But God means for this, for salvation, to mean much more than that. That it's not just a, a physical thing that we're dealing with, but it's really an eternal thing that we're dealing with as well. Now, salvation is what we need uh, from this sin problem that each and every one of us deals with each and every day. Now, it's when we're saved or redeemed by God, that means we're set free from the, 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 the foundations of, or set free from the, the culture that we're in or the world that we're in that tells us the standards by which we have to live. So when we're saved, we now live under different standards. We live under the standards of God, where God directs everything that we do in life, or should direct everything uh, in our lives, uh, commanding us to do this, to do that, or to live like this, to live like that, to love like this, or to love like that. And so we're taking directives from God rather than the way our culture wants us to live uh, today. So again, it's not just a physical thing, but it's also an eternal thing. So it's something that happens even after we, we pass on from this world. But again, the reality is, is that we live in a culture... You know, when we, when we read here that Jesus is the only way to God, Jesus, by Jesus' name, it's the only way that we can be saved. You know, we live in a culture that tells us that there are multiple paths to God. There are multiple, yes? I'm not understanding this, I'm totally lost. You, that, that's what the rest of the sermon's for, so we're, we're getting there, okay? And if you still have questions afterwards, we can talk after, okay? All right. All right. So, we live in a culture that believes that we can coexist, right? So there's a lot of cars that have these stickers on the back of their vehicle, right? And so on this sticker, you see a whole bunch of symbols from various religions that we, or philosophies that our world has. So Christianity, you might have Buddhism, uh, Islam, Judaism, and all of that. So you've got all those together. And the main philosophy behind this is that we can live peacefully together. And I fully agree with that. I fully agree that people who have differing opinions, uh, different philosophies, different uh, ideas, uh, we can live peacefully with them. But when you think deeply about what this sticker actually means, uh, at the very core of it, uh, it's, it's trying to promote a truth that really none of the religions actually agree on. Because all of the religions promote a truth that contradict one or the other. And I'll give examples of that sort of as we, as we go on here. So we live in a culture of pluralism or inclusivism, meaning that uh, every founder of religion is equal, uh, that they're on the same plane as each other. So someone who would believe that would say that uh, Jesus is on the same plane as someone like Muhammad, or Jesus is on the same plane as someone like Buddha. Buddha is on the same plane as Muhammad. So they're all equal. They're all the same path that we can get to God. And so that's really what all these are trying to promote. Our culture would also say that fundamentally, or at the core of what all these faiths believe, or all these philosophies believe, is that we're all fundamentally the same, 
okay? Or they also say that we're superficially uh, different. So at the surface, or very, very little things, we're actually different. But when you investigate, when you look at all of these faiths, you look at all these philosophies, actually the opposite is true. We are fundamentally, at the core, very different, uh, and superficially, we are the same. So at the surface level, we are the same. So a lot of faiths will believe in giving to charity or helping the poor, helping the needy, loving other people, doing good to other people. We would all at the very surface of it believe the very same thing. But at the core, we all believe very different things. So for instance, uh, there's this whole idea of grace in the New Testament or in, in, in Christianity. But grace is nowhere to be found in any other religions or any other philosophies in our world. A lot of other religions and philosophies will tell you that you've got to do something, you know, pray a certain amount of time a day, do uh, more good than bad uh, to get a positive afterlife. But yet in the New Testament, the way Jesus promotes the way to him is by grace, that there's nothing we have to do. There's no amount of good that we can do or not amount of bad that we can do that can separate us from his love. So that's freely given to each and every one of us. So we can simply look at that. Buddhism. One of the main tenets of Buddhism is to extinguish all desire. Now you look at the New Testament, or you look at the, the Old and New Testament. Now there's nothing in there that ever talks about extinguishing desire in total. Now sure, we have bad desires. Those things probably should not be done, or they shouldn't be done. But there's obviously good desires we should have. We should desire our spouse. We should desire our um, you know, God, we should desire our friends, we should desire to have a good home, a good life. And so there are desires that are good, but there are also desires that could be bad. But Buddhism would tell us that we should extinguish desire all together. Now, some major world religions also deny uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. So that's foundational to what we find in the New Testament, that Jesus died and then he rose again. But some would deny that that happened uh, at all, uh, when historically, when you have pagan philosophers, so people who aren't friendly to Christianity, pagan philosophers and pagan politicians who said that that was a historical fact that had actually happened. Jesus actually died and Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so we have a lot of facts that tell us that, but there are some religions who would say that that never actually happened. And so when we look at this pluralism, or we look at inclusivism, uh, that, oh, that there are multiple paths to God, I mean, when we look at the Bible, it really doesn't tell us that that's how we handle all religions uh, to begin with. We're not supposed to treat them all as equal or as the same, because as we see here in Acts 4, verse 12, there's only one person that can save us. There's only one person, uh, you know, when we become followers of Jesus, that's the only name that we can call on to actually save us. So when we read here, what Peter is actually telling us, he's, actually, he's using this other big word, now, and I should have said this at the beginning, but like pluralism, inclusivism, those are big words, but I already told you kind of what those mean. Exclusivism is really what Peter's talking about, that really there is only one name in which we can be saved. And he's challenging all of us to really think about how are we going to respond to that name. And the name that he says that we're supposed to respond to is Jesus's name. And so that's a challenge uh, to each and every one of us. Now, again, in the culture that Peter lived in, there were, it was a pagan religion that was happening in his time. So there were probably people telling him that, no, there are multiple ways to have happiness, to have contentment in their lives. It's not just this God of the Old and New Testament, but there are other gods that you could follow as well. 
But he still said, he still proclaimed with boldness, it said, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, he said that Jesus is the only way to God. And so that name demands a response from each and every one of us. Now, if we're looking you know, at our lives, you know, and say the goal of our life is just to be happy or just to be content. Now, like as I said earlier, if you have all those four things and you're content and you're happy and you think, well, you don't need anything else, uh, well, then really you don't, you don't need God. Uh, and I'm sure you probably said at some point or another, uh, each and every, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, that we just maybe have said that I just don't feel like I need God. And now we both do this, followers and uh, people who are followers of Jesus and not, we all do this sort of thing. Now, followers of Jesus, you know, you look at your life and, you know, you have a good job, you have a you know, great family, there are no problems, things be, seem to be going well, and you think to yourself, uh, whether, whether you think so or not, you might think, well, I got to this point in my life uh, because of myself, because I had to work to make money, or I had to read this book to get uh, wisdom to how, to how to raise my kids or how to, uh, how to talk to my wife, you know, so I had to do all this work in order to do that. So we take God out of it completely, where, when in reality, God is the reason that we have blessings to begin with. The reason you have your spouse next to you, the reason you have healthy kids, the reason uh, your job's going so well, because it all really flows from God, and it's not uh, about at the product of what we do. Now, obviously, yeah, we have to work. We have to do something to, to work. You know, to make money, you have to work. You know, you can't just expect God to send you a check in the mail or something. So you have to do something, but it all comes from God ultimately and at the end of the day. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus... You probably also said the very same thing. You know, you just don't feel like you need God in your life. You know, you think, you look at your life and you say, well, I'm, not, I'm content with everything. I, I don't need some higher power telling me how I'm supposed to live my life, what kind of rules I'm supposed to follow now, what kind of things I'm supposed to do now. Like, I don't need somebody telling me to do that because I'm content where I'm at. So again, if we're already happy with everything we have, then, and if we're content, then we really don't need God in the first place. So we're saying we don't need him. And, so, and also what we're also saying by saying that we really don't need God or we don't feel like we need God, I think what we're also saying is that we're perfect. We're saying that we have no problems in our lives, that God is really only for people who have problems in their lives or people who are struggling in life. Those are the only types of people that need God. That, that's what we think. But really, deep down, each and every one of us Again, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we all need God in our lives. And so there's also a problem, a reality, that we all have to face. You know, the Bible tells us of, of a God who, uh, at the end of our lives, is going to, to, to judge us, is going to hold us accountable for all the things that we've done in our lives. And this God is also perfect. He's perfectly just. Uh, so he's right and fair, and he's perfect in that. He's also perfectly loving, perfectly merciful, and, and all those things. So all of his qualities are, are perfect uh, in that way. And so God also requires, because he's perfect, he requires perfect obedience from each and every one of us. And so if we say, you know, I just don't feel like I need God, we're saying we're perfect. And we're putting a lot of stock or we're, we're, we're putting a lot of merit in what we can actually do, if, especially if we're not followers of Jesus, we're putting a lot of merit in those things, thinking that when that time actually comes, that God will look at us and say, that person's got a perfect record, and that's it. They're, they're, they're in, they're fully in, and that's it. 
But as, you, as I've said throughout this whole message, it's not all the good things that we can do. It's not the, the amount of good that we can do that outweighs the bad that gets us into heaven. There's only one name in which we can be saved by, and that is only through the name of Jesus. You know, a, a lot of people, you know, we, we, if you were to ask them, if you were to say, you know, where do you think you go, you know, at the end of your life? Um, you know, you find that a lot of people will say, well, I'm going to go to heaven. Or if they're not religious at all, they'll say, well, I'm going to go to, you know, the good place up there, whatever's up there in the afterlife for me. But it's a, it's a good place where I'm going to. But then you ask after that, you know, wh- why do you think you're going to go there? What, what makes you think you're going there? Well, we often say the, the common answer is, is that, well, I'm a, I'm a good person. You know, that, that's really what's going to get me in there. But really, at the end of the day, as we read here uh, with, uh, in Acts 4, verse 12, again, it's not the amount of good you can do. You can say you're a good person all you want, but the only thing that saves us, and I know I'm repeating myself and I mean to repeat myself, is that the only name that we can be saved by is the name of Jesus. And so really what Peter is doing here, Peter again is challenging each and every one of us to really look at our own lives and to see if we truly believe that Jesus is the only way to God, that Jesus is the only one that can save us, whether that be physically or that would be eternally as well. Now, we've been talking about as Jesus is our Savior. So what does that actually mean? Well, there's, I've got four little points for you here. So Jesus as our Savior means that he is our universal Savior. So that means it's for the whole world. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. And so this opportunity to follow God has been made available to everybody. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, are doing, or will do, uh, this is available to you, to, to, you to, ready for you to accept whenever it is you want to do that. Jesus is also our exclusive Savior, as we read here in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4 of Acts. That means that He is the only path to God. So in a culture that tells us that there are multiple ways that we can get to God, that we can have contentment and happiness in this life and have it eternally as well, Peter is telling us that there is only one way that we can do that, and that is through God. Jesus is also a comprehensive Savior, uh, Romans eight twenty nine through 30. And what it talks about there is that Jesus, because of what He's done, because He died for us, we can be forgiven. But we're also given a guarantee that, even though we're forgiven, that Jesus can work, will work in us and work through us to make us more and more like him. And then Jesus, as our Savior, also means that he's an all-powerful Savior. Uh, Romans 8, 38-39 uh, tells us that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so there's nothing you can do. There's nothing in this world, no principality, no power, no spiritual force that can keep God from loving you and to loving you like he really wants to love you. So he's all powerful uh, in our lives. And so if we accept that, if we choose to become followers of Jesus, and if we are followers of Jesus, I mean, it doesn't, the, the, the benefits of this is not just whenever you decide to become a follower of Jesus. This is a, a promise guarantee that we have throughout our lives. Uh, as we continue journeying with God as followers of God. And so some of the benefits uh, that, we, that we receive when we do that is that we can have peace with God. You know, the Bible tells us that we were all enemies of God, but through Jesus' death on the cross, resurrection from the dead, we have become friends of God. So that's a complete different change. We can have forgiveness of sin. So all the past things that we've done have complete, uh, completely been blotted out So we don't have to worry about those things. There's no record of those things uh, anymore. 
we also are new creations. Now the Bible tells us that the old has passed away and behold, the new has come. And so we can start new uh, with God. And I think one of the greatest things too is that we're also adopted. You know, that's a, sort of a f- family sort of term there. And so when we look at it as being adopted by God, we're no longer products, we're no longer a result of what this culture tells us or how this culture tells us we're supposed to live, but we are brought in actually into the family of God to live like God wants us to live. And so those are sort of the benefits of of what happens whenever you become a follower of God. And so that's that's a challenge, though, for all of us. We each have to, in our own hearts and in our own minds, have to decide how we're going to respond to the name of Jesus. So again, Acts 4.12 tells us that there's, uh, salvation comes from through a, no other name uh, except through the name of Jesus. And so each and every one of us, it's up to you to decide how you're going to respond to him. So let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you so much uh, just for who you are. Uh, we thank you that uh, you came, that you uh, sent your son Jesus to die and to, uh, for our sins and then to be raised from the dead. And so, God, we pray that as each of us uh, reflects on this truth, that you would help us to discern, you know, all the, maybe all the questions that we have about God, all the questions that we have about your Son, all the questions we have about the Holy Spirit. We pray that uh, you would help that be clear to us, Lord, that we need to respond to you in a positive way, that we need to respond to you, Lord, um, soon. Uh, Lord, you told us that, um, you know, whenever you ascended into heaven, that you were coming back soon. And so we've been living in this, this time in between for when you were here and when you're coming back. And so, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us can be ready for that time, whenever that is, uh, to meet you, Lord, to meet you uh, in, in perfection, Lord. Because uh, you tell us, Lord, that, that Jesus is going to make us more and more like him. And so we pray, Lord, that we can meet you on that day and you can look at us and say, well done. And so, Lord, we thank you uh, just for your promise, your guarantee of being with us, living in us, and working through us. In Jesus' name, amen.